Stephen Colbert and the formerly glamorous Hollywood former elite turned out Sunday night to grab the lowest hanging fruit and shriek about Donald Trump for two hours at the Emmys. Then YouTube's Red Pill Black, The Daily Wire's Jacob Berry, and his eminence, Paul Bois, joined the panel of deplorables to discuss Trump's first speech at the UN, the imminent rapture, which a Christian numerologist predicts will occur in five days, hide your kids, hide your wife, and the St. Louis Blues. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Now listen, we always try to be as mean as possible to Marshall on this show. It's uh, one of our favorite uh, aspects of the show and one of the reasons we wake up every morning. But today, today is Marshall's birthday. I don't know if you know that. Happy birthday, Marshall. He's uh, yeah, thank 14 you. Thank this you. year. A uh, big one for starting high yeah, school. Yeah, one four plus Good 13. luck, man. You're going to be great. Good luck uh, trying out for the football team and all that. He is going to be great. That little baby face, Marshall Benson. Happy birthday. We, we got to get right into this. I had actually, I watched the Emmys yesterday because Clavin made me. And for that, he will have to answer to St. Peter someday. And I, before that, I had seen Mother, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Mother is basically two hours of Jennifer Lawrence being tortured. I found the Emmys much more torturous than Mother, than watching Jennifer Lawrence go through hell, literally. So here, let's, let's begin at the very beginning. Here is Stephen Colbert's opening. Dear friends, the next time the world's problems make you feel the blues, turn on any channel. Well, except the news, because troubles aren't so troubling when you see them in HD. The world's a little better on TV. The world's a little better on TV. That is the thesis here. And it's kind of frustrating that Colbert is such a good performer. He's a great showbiz performer, and all he does is he's just a hack the whole time. He's just telling these super it's hacky It's such a Trump waste, jokes. Michael. It is, it's a huge waste of talent, and so that's the contention. Everything is better on TV. Well, is it? Let's see how the world looks through the lens of TV. Let's kick it off. Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um, everybody black. <laughs> I am. That is Issa Rae. That is a YouTuber turned into a TV star. And in this world, she is uh, representing the black people who are deeply oppressed by Hollywood. Black people cannot get a break in Hollywood. And so we have to have racial solidarity. One can only imagine if I said I'm rooting for all the white people in, uh, in the Emmys. But that is what she's saying. And so is it reality? Absolutely not. Ethnically, this is the most diverse Emmys that has ever been had from the performers to the presenters. Uh, last year was also quite diverse. It was so ethnically diverse, meaning there were so many minorities, in particular black actors there, that the hashtag Emmys so black actually started trending last night in, in response to the Oscars so white claims of a couple years ago. So reality, uh, reality seems a whole lot better than the world of TV in that instance. But let's keep going. Stephen Colbert, what else have you got? Americans has hotter spies than the Russia Inquiry. Even treason's better on TV. Treason. And uh, right before that, Julia Louis-Dreyfus accuses Donald Trump of sympathizing with Nazis. So in the world, according to TV, Donald Trump is a Nazi and a traitor. Now, I think separately, one might imply the other, but he is separately a Nazi and a traitor. 
Now, in reality, of course, Donald Trump has repeatedly disavowed Nazis, the handful of neo-Nazis who apparently support his campaign. By comparison, Democrats never have to disavow Antifa or Black Lives, Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter riots that have occurred in cities across the country. And those people who support them, they never have to acknowledge it. On the Russia story and the treason story, even Van Jones, a far left winger and commentator and political analyst, says that the Russia story is, quote, a nothing burger. But of course, nobody with two brain cells to rub together would think that Donald Trump is a Manchurian candidate for Russians. In the world of TV, he's a Nazi and a traitor. In reality, he's just some guy. It's not a big deal. Speaking of traitors, here is Jane Fonda giving her little speech to the Emmys last night. Well, yeah, well, back in 1980, in that movie, we refused to be controlled by a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. Really? And in, and in 2017, we still refuse to be controlled by a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. <laughs> Where's the puke bucket? I need the, the puke bucket. The virtue. It's tremendous. It's it's sickening me, all of the virtue signaling. Now that, for, for those who are either listening or who couldn't get a good glimpse, that woman who is speaking is a traitor. That woman is an actual traitor, Jane Fonda, who aided and abetted our enemies during Vietnam while they were killing and imprisoning and torturing American soldiers. She sat on top of anti-aircraft guns and took photos. Anti-aircraft guns simulating shooting down American planes. That's what that woman is. And she's saying that in this country, Donald Trump is a sexist, misogynistic bigot who's pushing everybody around. Who's pushing you around, Jane Fonda? Nobody is pushing you around, but perhaps somebody should because this traitor to her country, this seditious actress, gets to give absurd speeches lambasting the president, wrongly lambasting the president, slandering him on national television. Nobody's pushing her around. Nobody's stopping her from doing that, unfortunately, perhaps. But that's the world of TV. In the world of TV, in the world of imagination, then President Trump is a tyrant who is, uh, who is oppressing everybody, including traitors like Jane Fonda. Now, apparently we're not living in such authoritarian times. At least Chance the Rapper shows up to finally bring a little levity and to entertain us just like Stephen Colbert promised, right? Wrong, I'm just kidding. He came out and just gave another stupid political speech. So Chance the Rapper, from what I could understand from his rap performance, asked, one, why cops on television shows aren't convicted as murderers, why uh, men with psychological disorders like transgenderism cannot serve in the military openly, and he insists that we DVR our televisions so that we can go and protest Donald Trump. By the way, th this attack came within the first two minutes of the broadcast. This was Chance the Rapper. So at least we can hope, at least we can hope that the big awards for the night will make good on that promise of lighthearted fun. The, everything's better on TV, right? Right? Isn't that? No, absolutely wrong. Here's what's won. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. My name is Alfred. I had another name. Ladies, I have to let you go. It's the law now. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sorry, I fell asleep during that trailer as I did through every single episode of that tedious and pedantic show, which Norm MacDonald rightly called subpar science fi trash. It was an it was it won everything. It won best drama, best actress, best supporting actress, a couple other awards we, as well. We do need to clarify this was in the same category as The Crown. It was oh my gosh, it was it, it, The Crown. It beat out Stranger Things. It beat out Westworld. This was a year of good shows. Unbelievable. This was a year of good shows. And they won. And the reason that Handmaid's Tale won, it really is not a good show. It's poorly written. It's poorly conceived. The acting is fine, I suppose. It's absurdly slow. You really can't watch it and maintain any interest. But the reason it won is because Donald Trump is living rent-free in all of their heads in Hollywood. And so they had to give it to the show to send a message, to send a message about the alleged oppression, right? So in that show, the, the women, uh, Elizabeth Moss, they're living in a world in which women are subjugated by radical Christians. Now, this is ironic because in our world today, the only place where women are not subjugated is in traditionally Christian nations. But if the show had any guts, they would portray uh, female oppression in, in a Muslim world. They would portray female oppression in a world where there are consequences to making such claims. But of course they can't do that. So they have to make it about radical Christians oppressing women. When I look around, in reality, that does not appear to be the case. So that's the world according to TV. In that world, Trump gets pretty negative coverage, you might say. Obviously the coverage from the Emmys. But there was a Harvard University study that showed that CNN and NBC gave Trump 93% negative coverage, 93%. Now, to put that in perspective, that same study showed that Barack Obama got 41% negative coverage, George W. Bush 57% negative coverage, and Bill Clinton 60% negative coverage because of all of the sex scandals. But Donald Trump, 93%. Now, what about reality? How does reality look? In reality, the economy is growing. There was accelerated economic growth during Trump's first full quarter. The White House is repealing the unconstitutional executive amnesty and possibly addressing it by legislation. There are stronger lobbying bans for ex-White House employees than we've seen in recent memory. There is the repeal of one mandate forcing taxpayers to fund Planned Parenthood, another one forcing taxpayers to fund abortions overseas. Looks like good news to me. Major reduction in regulations and delays in our energy sector to get the economy going again. Some reports show that there have been 16 regulations repealed for every new regulation added. There's a decline in illegal immigration since Donald Trump was inaugurated. And we have a Supreme Court justice who respects the Constitution. Seems to me like everything is worse on TV. Let's bring on our panel to discuss. We're very lucky making her debut on the Michael Knowles Show panel of deplorables. We have Candace Owens, better known by her YouTube name, Red Pill Black. Candace, thank you for being here. We have I'm happy to be from here. the Daily Wire, Jacob Airy. And from Lepanto Live, we have His Eminence, Paul Bois. <laughs> now, before we begin, I should be fair, there was one moment of levity during the telecast. That was when Sean Spicer made a surprise appearance, and here he is. Of course, what really matters to Donald Trump is ratings. You gotta have the big numbers. And I certainly hope we achieve that tonight. Unfortunately, at this point, we have no way of knowing how big our audience is. I mean, is there anyone who could say how big the audience is? Sean, do you know? Witness and Emmys, period. 
both in person and around the world. Wow, that really soothes my fragile ego. I can understand why you'd want one of these guys around. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, everybody, give it up. So it was a knock on Trump, but it, it was actually a pretty funny moment. You know, it was a little it was a little bipartisan, at least. They had a Republican kind of making fun of himself and having a nice little moment. But of course, Hollywood and the mainstream media hate it. CNN ran the headline today, quote, why did the Emmys help Sean Spicer rebrand? The Huffington Post ran, angry viewers are in no mood to laugh at Sean Spicer's Emmy jokes. And the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness, said, Spicer's yucky cameo at the Emmys. That is why we can't have nice things. Hollywood used to be <laughs> glamorous, and now it's crass and vulgar. Paul Bois, should Sean Spicer have shown up? Was it a nice moment? Or was he sucking up to Hollywood limousine leftists? I mean, I agree with the spirit of the act. It's fun. It's joke. But at the end of the day, this is Hollywood. They're not there. They're not going to go, oh, yeah, that's so funny. Spicer's laughing at himself. They're just going to laugh in that moment and then go back to just being mean-spirited and uh, bashing him you know, behind his back. And that's why Colbert later in the night made that joke uh, against Spicer. I forget exactly what he said. So, I mean... It's just, I don't agree with sucking up to people that just basically want to punch you in the face. You think you shouldn't have shown up? Yeah. Red Pill Black, gone are the days of Bob Hope. What has made Hollywood so leftist and so screechy in just the last few years? Honestly, I don't know. I think it's for the first time ever we're seeing what it looks like when these spoiled toddlers don't get what they want. <laughs> um, and they didn't get what they wanted, who they wanted in the White House. And now we have to endure this super long four-year, hopefully eight-year whine um, that doesn't seem to be going away. And it's when you watch the show, it's like they're just in this echo chamber laughing at themselves and they just can't get enough of themselves. And they have no idea what's going on outside in the real world. I see that. And you bring up a great point, which is that it's all about the presidential election. We saw all of this after George Bush won the presidency. You had Michael yeah. Moore ruining the Oscars and making stupid speeches. And it, it just seems to be when they get their way, then they basically behave. And when they don't get their way, then they have to ruin every bit of fun and entertainment that we can ask for out of Hollywood. Jacob. Right. The whole show was about Trump. The entire yes. thing. I mean, I, I pulled out a handful of clips. I could have shown the whole two-hour telecast. Isn't that exactly what Trump wants? Doesn't he want the attention? Doesn't he want to live rent-free in their head? And if so, why do they give him what he wants? I think it's just part of their bubble, right? So they think, we've just got to keep hammering because they expect Trump to act like George W. Bush. So, uh, you know, he's going to be passive. He's going to ignore it because, you know, President Bush thought the president should be above all this Hollywood criticism. And, but uh, tr so they're shocked when Trump just goes after them. You can tell their feelings were very hurt when he totally ignored them on Twitter. That was the best part of this whole thing. <laughs> he is so wily, especially on Twitter. <laughs> and speaking of Donald Trump driving people crazy, President Trump has just given his first speech to the U.N. this morning. And he claimed in typical Trumpian fashion that the organization that's been around for 72 years has, quote, Tremendous potential, which I love. Now, we have to talk about this. It's a great story. You can learn about all of these things. You can learn about the rapture. You can hear about Mother and why all the reviewers are getting Mother wrong. But you can't do it right now. You have to do it 
at thedailywire.com. So we have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for everyone who's already a subscriber. If you're a subscriber or you want to become a subscriber, go to dailywire.com right now. It's only $10 a month, $100 a year. You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. I know what you're thinking. So what? So what? Well, that's what I have to say to that. The Leftist Tears Tumblr can be yours with an annual subscription. Now, this Tumblr, I had this last night next to my television set. It was overflowing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have floor damage because of all the leftist tears that were pouring out of my screen. <laughs> now, you need the best vessel on the market to carry leftist tears as well. This is absolutely indestructible. It will survive the rapture that is being predicted for five days from now. So go over to dailywire.com, get yours, keep your leftist tears hot or cold, always salty and delicious, and we'll be right back. So I could not love President Trump's UN insult anymore. As far as I can tell, the UN is an organization where we invite the worst people on earth to come to our best city. We pay for the lion's share of the whole thing. They give speeches trashing us and telling us how terrible we are for a few days. And then they go back to their countries and oppress their own citizens. So President Trump has taken a harder line with them. Red pill black. Why do we tolerate the UN? We shouldn't. I have absolutely no idea why we've ever tolerated the UN. And I think that this is sort of what Trump excels at. This is what sort of got people behind him in the first place is that he's willing to not play this PC role and he's willing to call stuff out. And the UN has needed to be called out for a very long time. They are a waste of time. Um, they are a waste of money and they're a waste of resources. And they do absolutely nothing. They accomplish nothing. I couldn't have said it better myself. Paul Bois. Tell Red Pill Black why she's wrong. Is there any role for the UN, period, or at least is there any role in Donald Trump's America? Well, certainly not the America that he promised us. I mean, my opinion of the UN is simply that I think it's good as an idea to give people a neutral forum, uh, countries to just come and debate the, their grievances, and that's it. As far as everything that it does organizationally uh, around the world, it's, it's a complete disaster and all of that should be disbanded. But in terms of the idea of it, okay, let's have a forum for countries, you know, uh, this country's mad at this country. Okay, let's let them talk it out and debate it. Okay, fine. But other than that, it's it's worthless. And Maybe. How about know. they just keep their mouths shut? How about these <laughs> awful dictators and these terrible <laughs> human rights abusers keep their mouths shut and stop telling us how to run our country, which is the greatest force of national good in the history of the world? Who knows? Jacob, conservatives don't like the UN, generally speaking. The left loves the UN. Doesn't matter how many times you show them the UN has been ineffective. It has not established world peace. It's not able to really... Uh, push any consequences onto people who are abusing their own citizens, but the left nevertheless loves it. They at least love the theory of the UN. Why is that? I think it's because it represents what they want. You know, it's John Lennon's Imagine, right? Imagine if there were no countries. You know, was that I'm, Donald Trump singing Imagine? I don't yes, know. Yes, that exactly. Was it wasn't the fact that I'm a ter have a terrible <laughs> singing voice, but no. It, it, in all seriousness, no. It's it's their vision of a perfect world. It doesn't matter how evil you are. It doesn't matter that your country abuses human rights. They still want you to be able to come and talk it out because we're all good on the inside. All of us are. You and know, who, who cares if it works in practice? Does it work in theory? That, yeah, that's exactly. The, does, and that's it, the real question. In theory, the UN might be fine, but in reality, it's a complete waste of time. Now, 
most importantly, we have to get to Armageddon. The end is nigh. A self-described Christian researcher named David Mead predicts that it will all end in five days. Jacob, will you be hiding your kids and your wife? No, this this happens. Anytime there's an eclipse, anytime there's a blood moon, anytime there's this this there's this uh, constellation appearing, these kooks come out come out of the closet and they're like, Oh look, we have the date. I hate to break it to you. Matthew twenty four thirty six says no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's second coming. Not so, not even the angels of heaven. Not even the angels not even David Mead, the Christian researcher it's, in America. And, and and Jesus even goes a step further and says, I don't even know. Only God the Father knows. Mm. So I think I think that this is just going to all blow over just like the last guy and the guy before him. It, no one knows the day or the hour, and when it comes, we won't be ready for it more than likely. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. You know, Jacob. the metaphor that comes to mind whenever we talk about this, when Christians come out of the woodworks to predict, is a lot like Lego Batman's batarangs, where he's just going to keep throwing batarangs at the rapture until they finally get it, and they're going to say, first try. <laughs> did I tell you he was 14, or did I tell you he was 14? <laughs> Jacob makes a very good point. Of that day or hour, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven, only God the Father. Why is it that this guy missed the message? Why do some kooky Protestant sects always insist on predicting the end of the world? Well, as a Catholic, Michael, I have my own perspective on this, but uh, out of charity, I'll withhold that. Uh, mostly it's because what you have is these individual uh, religious leaders and they're reading into scripture and they have absolutely no outside authority to give them any sort of check and balances on what they're reading. and. They read it and then they come up with their own weird uh, ideas about, you know, when uh, the end of the world's going to come and then they get followers to follow them. And it always ends with people disappointed and sad. I mean, the last big one was in 1844 with uh, Pastor the, William the Miller. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Millerites. Uh, so, you know, so just basically another William Miller. And Paul Bois, can you confirm, are you speaking ex cathedra when you make that <laughs> statement about the, the uh, end of the world predictors? Uh, I'm speaking as uh, someone who believes in the authority of the Pope. Uh, in Such humility. <laughs> Such humility from his eminence. Red pill black. I don't think it's just the Christians who are predicting the end of the world. I think it is the American left. And I think you saw it last <laughs> night during that Emmy Awards telecast. They, every single thing is a sign of the end of the world for them. Now, yes. you, very famously to borrow your own phrase, took the red pill and completely changed your mind. What made right. that happen? You know, it was a ton of things, but it was mainly, I always say I was force-fed the, the red pill. I ended up in a situation where um, the left press was trying very hard to smear me when I stumbled upon an internet lie, which was the Gamergate non-scandal that mm. they made up right, to support right. Hillary Clinton. Um, and I openly tweeted about it and I got attacked by the left. And once you um, actually see that these um, corporations are, these news organizations are really just businesses and Jeff Bezos outright purchased the Washington Post for the sake of smearing people and taking down businesses and building other businesses up, um, you can't unsee it. So He's really I done a terrible much... job with WAPO too. I mean, that thing is, <laughs> no, it used to that... be pretty bad, but it's unreadable I now. Know. It's, yeah, it really is. It's so bad. It, but you know, um, I have no regrets about being red pill. I love it. And I'm just happy that I get to spread the knowledge to other people in the black community. It's amazing that it was it was a non-troversy that did it for you. It was one of these <laughs> yeah, things yeah. about video <laughs> games. It wasn't a major political yeah. issue. It was something personal where you thought, mm, I don't quite agree with the politics on this. 
Right. Exactly. And I, listen, everything happens for a reason. It was pretty crazy falling down the rabbit hole at first and realizing that everybody that you thought was like a white supremacist, you know, is actually like on your side. And Except for a few, there are a few white supremacists. You know, there are some, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not like yeah, half the country, are, like Hillary yeah. says. Yeah, 66 million of them. I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, then we have – speaking of race relations and uh, people who are behaving because they haven't had any red pills, St. Louis <laughs> residents hate to see that evening sun go down because that's when the rioters have been attacking police, flipping trash cans, and breaking windows on the streets of St. Louis over the acquittal of Jason Stockley, a white cop on trial for killing 24-year-old Anthony Lamar Smith, a young black man. Now, Smith had apparently been seen completing a drug deal. And he then rammed his car into Stockley's police vehicle twice. They engaged in a high-speed chase. He resisted arrest. And then allegedly he reached for a gun, though some have claimed that the gun was planted by Stockley, whose DNA, his own DNA, was found on the weapon. Red Pill Black. As our expert uh, Red Pilled realized that race relations weren't as bad as everybody said, expert, was this a setup? Is there good reason to protest this verdict? No, they're, they're, everything that they are doing is absolutely animalistic. And it, it's saddening for me to see because this is what I hate the most about the African-American community right now um, is that they are constantly rioting. They are constantly acting like animals to no end. Um, you cannot go on a high-speed chase with a police officer and expect that you have rights. If you are mm. doing that, you are playing with your own life. You, they have every right in that scenario. He wasn't just walking down the street, you know, and got shot by a police officer. Um, he was engaging in a very dangerous, illegal act. And I'm not saying that he deserved to die, but I'm saying that um, these protests as a result of him dying are absolutely ridiculous, and it needs to stop. And it's, again, just shows you how absolutely warped the media has mm. African-Americans. We are killing ourselves far more, you know? <laughs> you know, Nobody ever riots when a black person kills a black person, but God forbid a white person kills a black person. Chicago which would not exist if there were riots when, uh, right? when there's black-on-black uh, -black gang violence or something like that. Right, it'd be perpetual. It would just be perpetual rioting, but they don't care. Only if a white person kills us, then we need to act like animals. And, so and it's disgusting and it's sad. So is your point, because the, the way I look at this case, it may well be the case that Jason Stockley is a terrible guy. He might have planted that gun. He might, he might be a racist for all I know. I'm not sure. But the question is, in this trial was justice served, and does, does it merit going out and protesting and breaking windows? Jacob Airy, I must ask you. Is there a nationwide epidemic of racist cops killing innocent black suspects? No, I don't think so. The statistics do not bear that out. In fact, I believe it was uh, Harvard University. I could I could have the university wrong. I can't I can't exactly recall, but uh, they did they did a study where they where they examined police officers and their encounters and when they used deadly force, and they were more likely to draw and shoot a Caucasian male than any other race, ethnicity, mm -hmm. or even gender. They were, uh, because they were so worried about causing uh, problems like that, they were least likely to draw their weapon. They're more likely to draw their taser, I believe, but less likely to draw their gun on someone who was of minority or a person of color. And it's, it's hard to tell. I read that study that was a Harvard economist published that. There was a Bayesian analysis that was going around a while ago saying that really there is race discrimination. Uh, from uh, white cops to black suspects. It depends what criteria you're looking at, too. With 
in particular with deadly force, it may be the case that there's no race discrimination in respect to uh, black suspects being pulled over more often. It, that may possibly be the case, though, of course, that has to do with bad neighborhoods, that has to do with poverty, that has to do with the inner city. So basically, one side has their statistics, the other side has their statistics. It does not appear that uh, the question will be resolved by statistics. So Paul Bois, just flat out, was justice served? Yeah, I think so. All right. After, looking at, the, after <laughs> looking at the evidence and, and everything that, that took place, I, I don't see any evidence that, uh, um, that the young man was murdered by the police officer and uh, what took place took place. I mean, I think the worst thing that the officer did was the recordings of him, what he was saying in the car. But I mean, look, he was saying in the car, I'm going to kill this guy or I'm I'm cleaning up the language a little bit. Yeah, but it, was, it seemed like he was out for blood. But again, the guy had just hit his car twice. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, when you're in that situation, you, you could end up dead and your adrenaline is pumping at a very, very, very high rate. And you're just going to be saying things that you shouldn't be saying. Mm -hmm. And. But look, it's a life or death situation. We have no idea what it's like to be in that uh, for the police. And Red Pill Black, there are bad cops. There are definitely uh, bad cops out there. And the question is, are we, are we being too hard on our police officers? They're in these very difficult situations. It's the thin blue line. They protect us from crime. They allow us to live peaceful lives. Are we being too hard on the cops or is more oversight required? We are absolutely being too hard on the cops. And um, the truth of the matter is, is that officers save black lives. And mm. the fact that the media has kind of facilitated this attack on police officers is actually going to cause more harm to black communities. Like you said, they are more hesitant now to pull the trigger. They're more hesitant to do their job because they're afraid of creating this outrage and becoming the subject of national debate if they do. Um, well, all we're doing is creating a divide between the black and white community, and that divide is very serious when it comes to white police officers. Think about their, what they're doing in these cities like Chicago. I actually went out to Chicago and met with um, the officers in District 11. Those are black officers. It's amazing that people have not figured out that police officers aren't just white. So, so when you create this narrative, what, do you, what about these police officers that are all black, like they are in Chicago in District, in District 11, which is where, um, you know, they have like the highest rate of crime. People don't think this way. What they're actually doing is creating um, a harder job for these people. So I'm, I'm like staunchly against this villainizing of police officers. You see that in New York a few years ago, the stop and frisk policy was criticized by the left. They said it was racist and discriminatory. And what they forgot is in, in these instances of stop and frisk, it, it's usually black or Hispanic officers being called to black or Hispanic communities and neighborhoods right. by black or Hispanic victims to protect them right. from very often black or Hispanic uh, suspects, but exactly this isn't right. uh, this isn't uh, white cops going in and shooting people. Race appeared to have right. no role in it whatsoever. Right, and it's just something that, they, like I said, the media doesn't talk about. They make it, according to the media, every police officer is white. And I don't understand how people haven't realized, like you said, that there are a lot of black officers and there are a lot of Hispanic officers, and all of them that I've spoken to. Um, they say the same thing, you know, we're the ones committing the crimes. The truth of the matter is the reason why black people, you know, get stopped more, get shot more by police officers, um, if they are being shot more by police officers, is because we actually are committing the most crimes. We only represent this much of the population. But if you look at the crime statistics, we represent, it's unbelievable. 
Um, and that's something that people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the fact that we're committing all these crimes, that we're involved in these drug crimes and these murder rates, and that we're killing ourselves. They only want to talk and they only want to riot when a white police officer shoots a black man. And do you know why the media refuse to, or why the media insist on perpetuating these divisive narratives? Do you know why? Because everything is worse on TV. That's why. <laughs> Red Pill Black, excellent to have you here. We got to have you back. Thank you for coming on. We have His Eminence, Paul Bois, and Daily Wire's Jacob Berry. Now it is time to put on my Stephen Colbert smart glasses and give the final thought. For today's final thought, I'm going to do the unthinkable. I am going to defend Hollywood, the horror, the horror. Specifically, I'm going to defend Darren Aronofsky's movie Mother, starring Jennifer Lawrence, which I just saw yesterday. I think I am the only conservative in the country who enjoyed Mother. Right-wingers have been excoriating this film. A writer in National Review called it the vilest film Hollywood has ever produced. And the great John Nolte even said that it's an environmentalist, anti-Christian, anti-human screed. Now, with respect to my friends in the conservative movement, conservatives are Philistines, and they have missed the rich narrative of this movie. Now, Jennifer Lawrence and Aronofsky himself might misunderstand it, too. Artists often get their own work wrong. But the movie doesn't really make sense if Lawrence's character is seen as Mother Earth. It makes much more sense if we realize that Jennifer Lawrence's character is Satan. It is a Miltonian allegory for Christianity, much like Paradise Lost. Now, the movie is difficult to watch, particularly its depiction of mankind and the Blessed Sacrament. But that's the point. The movie is told from the point of view of Jennifer Lawrence, who is Satan. A Mother is a theologically serious movie that presents a thorough and disconcerting portrait of the insidiousness of sin and the unfathomable magnitude of God's love and inventiveness. We have a sympathetic Satan character here, just like we do in Paradise Lost. And Mother's sympathy, Jennifer Lawrence's character's sympathy for the devil, should startle Christian audiences out of the sentimental complacency and shallowness that Aronofsky assails in his humans. It's worth a watch. You should go see it. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again.